Good morning. How are we? All right. I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here. It's my honor and privilege to unpack, study the Word of God with you. Luke, no, not Luke. Don't go to Luke. Mark chapter 14 and 1 Peter chapter 5. Mark chapter 14 and 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll be there in a few minutes. Uh, But I do want to just highlight that next week I'm starting a series called Family Matters. It's going to be good. I think God is really speaking into this series. Uh, And it's one that everybody uh, can can, uh, benefit from and understand and walk away from here a little closer to Jesus than you came in. So make sure that you invite your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, somebody. Invite somebody this week to join you next week. It's kind of a big fall kickoff. Today is like the last This last week is like the last chance to go on vacation before school starts and all that. And so if you're joining us online from sunny Florida, we're excited that you're here. Uh, That was kind of a joke, but they are joining us online. Did you know that you can watch online when you're on vacation? Extra Jesus points if you do that. So you just got some extra Jesus points there. But uh, yeah, so um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, next week is going to be Family Matters. It's going to be good. Invite somebody. Bring somebody. Family is really important, it matters, but it's also very difficult to do in a God-honoring way. And families are blowing up all over the place, imploding, having issues, splitting up. And so we want to talk about faith, we want to talk about honor, commitment, time, and forgiveness. These are the family matters we'll be discussing, so bring somebody with you. But today we're finishing up a series, our summer series, called Set Apart through the book of 1 Peter. It's been a great study, have you guys enjoyed it? I've enjoyed, three of you have enjoyed it, it's fine. I've enjoyed it, I told you it's going to be a long service. I've enjoyed it, uh, enjoyed preaching it, enjoyed studying First Peter with you. Uh, so we're going to look at the last nine verses of this book. And don't forget that this is a letter written by the Apostle Peter to a bunch of churches in the first century who are going through persecution. Uh, many of the people, the followers of Jesus that he's writing to, uh, are, their friends and family have been murdered uh, for following Christ. And so it's a very, very persecuted situation. And so Peter doesn't know as he's writing this, is he going to get a chance to write another letter? Is, are these same people going to be able to read uh, a letter number two or a letter number three? And so what, what's he going to write? Like what's the what last bit of advice or wisdom or encouragement is he going to include in his letter? Let's do this. Think, if, think about if you were writing a letter to your kids, your grandkids, maybe your wife, your husband, somebody you love, and you weren't sure you were ever going to be able to write another letter to them. And let's all just be honest and say none of us write letters. But let's just act like that's happening, okay? So you're writing this letter, and you love them. There's so much you could say, right? Last letter, so much you could say. But you know you got to end it. It's gotta, you can't just keep going. You have to end it. And so you're thinking, okay, i got to wrap this thing up. What would you spend the last little bit of space writing about? What would you spend the last bit of ink writing about as you write to somebody who you love, who you're trying to help? So much you could say, but I think I know what most of us would do after we, after we thought about it, after we give it a, a little bit of, of thought. You, you'd, you'd think about, as you're writing the last few sentences, you'd think about, advice you could have used, right? You think about things that have happened in your life where there were some mistakes and you think, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell them this so that they can avoid the things that I went through, right? Most of us would kind of go that route. We would go the route of, okay, here's some last bit of advice so that you can get through this. Most of our good advice comes from mistakes that we've made in our lives, regrets, right? That's kind of where our good advice comes from. So most of us would use our last bit of space 
to say something like, here's what I wish I would have known. Here's what I hope that you'll avoid. Here's what I wish I would have done. Something like, hey, make sure you put your family above your job. Because we're wondering if we did that, or we know we didn't. Or make sure, so something like, make sure you don't just fill your life full of a bunch of good things to the detriment of God things. Make sure you don't just fill your life up with just a bunch of stuff, but God's not primary. God's not in there. We might say that because we know we, we're not doing that well, or we didn't do it well. Most of us would throw out some last bits of wisdom based on experiences that we've had in life, based on major lessons we've learned, most of which come from mistakes, trial and error, something like that. That's exactly what the Apostle Peter does here. That's exactly what he does. He's been talking to us about being set apart. And so we started this letter 11 weeks ago with the Apostle Peter addressing it to elect exiles, set apart, chosen for heaven. That's your future hope. Chosen for peace in heaven, future hope, but also chosen for right here, right now. Exiled here for a purpose. That's your present calling. When you gave your life to Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, when you gave your life to Jesus, he didn't call you to heaven right then. Why? Because you got some stuff to do. You got some stuff that you're supposed to be doing here on earth. So you got this future hope and this present calling, this kind of divine tension that is what it means to be set apart Uh, For God, set apart for God, future hope, present calling, set apart. And so the book of 1 Peter has led us to talk through all these different aspects, 10 so far, 11 today, about being set apart, set apart for hope and holiness and and service and submission. And if you've missed any of those, just go on iTunes or the website and you can catch up and understand 1 Peter since you're just catching the last week here. But Now Peter's thinking, man, what else? What else am I going to say? What else am I going to, well, this may be the last chance I have to write. I'm not not promised tomorrow. What else? And he, he decides to end with this idea that we're set apart for battle. We're set apart for battle. He's going, you've got to understand that your present calling, your time here on earth is very important and it's going to be tough. That's because you are in a battle. You are not in a time of peace. You are in a time of war. You have an enemy. And I think he's, I think he's ending this way because he wants us to know that the stakes are as high as they could possibly be. Heaven and hell hang in the balance. This isn't a hobby. This isn't a philosophy. This isn't something you just add to your week. This isn't anything like that. It's not a game. This isn't just about what you're going through right now and you enduring suffering or you getting blessing. It's not just about that. He's going, this is, there's something bigger, something greater. You're in a battle, a war. And I really think he's ending this, he's ending this way, because he wishes he would have gotten that sooner. He, Peter's wishing, wishing he would have gotten this a little sooner in his life, that he would have gotten the stakes and the enemy and the need to be vigilant and the battle and all that. I think as the Apostle Peter Older now, nearing the end of his life, is writing these last few words. I think, I think he's remembering something. I think he's remembering possibly what happened in Mark chapter 14. 
He was there, right? Mark chapter 14. There's some parallels I'll help you see, but we'll jump back and forth between 1 Peter and Mark 14 today, but we'll start in our letter that we're studying, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verse 6. Chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So there it is again, this theme of being set apart. Future hope and present calling. He goes, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself right here in this life. That's present calling so that at the proper time he may exalt you. That's future hope. That's heaven someday. Elect exiles set apart. Future hope, present calling. But humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, that ain't easy, is it? And that is not easy. That is, that is difficult to do. That means giving your life to him and trusting him with every aspect of it, trusting that he's mightier than you. That means giving your future to him. It, that may mean change. It may mean a different job. It may mean a different house. It may mean a different location. It may mean many different things, different town, different school, different way of life. It definitely means, means some suffering, some hardship, and it definitely means some inconvenience. If you're going to be humbled under the mighty hand of God and give him your life in this present calling, then it's going to be inconvenient at times, definitely. Humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, it means more than just like, he saved me when I was 14, or I was baptized as a kid, so I'm good, or even I believe in Jesus. It means more than that, doesn't it? And this goes beyond Jesus saved me to Jesus runs my life. That's different. Jesus is in charge of the decisions I make. He's in charge of the places I go. He's in charge of what I do in my life. It's difficult to do this. There's this There's unknown, and there's angst, and there's worry, and it's like, man, how am I going to give that up? How am I going to go there? How am I going to do this? How am I going to pull this off, right? It's hard, and Peter knows that, and I think that's why he includes the next part, the next verse, the end of this sentence. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. So live into your identity as a people set apart, elect, chosen, set apart for heaven and all things good, but also here, set apart for a purpose, future hope and present calling. Submit to your present calling, which will absolutely include hardship and difficulty and inconvenience and hard times, hard seasons, hard days, hard nights. Live into that. How? By casting all of your anxieties, your worry, your doubts, your insecurity, the future, casting all of that on God because he cares for you. Because he's not just some absent dictator. He's not some far-off God just issuing issuing commands from an ivory tower and he doesn't have any care for you. He's not that kind of a God. He loves you. He cares for you. Anxiety, fear, difficulty, tragedy, pain, suffering. That is all a part of this present calling. 
You know what else is? God's presence in your life. His love. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So in the midst of all of that, you have Jesus right there next to you. You have God right there next to you. And he's going, cast it on me because I care for you. I care for you. I think as Peter writes this, he's thinking about what happened in Mark chapter 14. He was there. And in Mark 14, we're given this this window into the last day and night uh, of Jesus' life before he's arrested, beaten, crucified, all of that. And so Jesus, he, he has one last Passover meal with his disciples and institutes what we call communion or the Lord's Supper, which we just celebrated just a moment ago. And then after dinner, they go out to the Mount of Olives and, and Jesus has this moment with Peter that we'll come back to. But look at Mark chapter 14, verse 32. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took him with him, Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus Christ. And he is overwhelmed. He is absolutely overwhelmed, so much so that he he goes, man, I'm so sad, I might die. That's what he just said. I'm sorrowful even to the point of death. I might die. I'm so sad. And he collapses on the ground and he begins to pray. And you're going to have to decide for yourself, but based on the text we're about to read, it really seems like Jesus didn't want to go through with it. It really seems like Jesus in this moment was looking at what was going to happen and he was going, is there any other way? Because look at his prayer. It says, in going a little farther, he fell down on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. He goes, please, don't make me go through this. I don't like what you're giving me to drink here. Let this hour of suffering and pain and tragedy pass from me. I don't want to do it anymore. He's going, hey, God, all things are possible for you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's like, you could do this another way probably. They have a brother I don't know about, right? He's like, how how are we going to get around? Is there a way to get through this? He's wrestling with what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 5, this idea that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and it will be difficult. The pain, the hurt, the suffering, the angst. But he's not hiding from his Father in heaven, right? I think... I think when Peter is writing in 1 Peter 5, I think he's thinking about Jesus as the example because he's not hiding. He's going, he's casting it on his father. He's going, I'm just going to be honest. This is super difficult. Let it pass from me. I mean, he's being honest with God, his father. I think Peter's thinking of Jesus' example at Gethsemane when he writes, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what Jesus is doing, and Jesus is the example of that, and he's also the example of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, even when we don't like it, even when it's difficult. Because if anyone had the right to take the easy road and do whatever he wanted, it was Jesus, right? Do whatever he wanted to do. That would be, if Jesus did that, 
it'd be good. <laughs> like, he has the right to do that. He doesn't have to come to earth and save us. He doesn't have to give his life. None of that is forced upon him. He willingly does it. He could easily stay in heaven. He could easily avoid this whole thing, and yet he doesn't. Philippians 2 says that he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. So he's humbling himself under the mighty hand of God. And look at, he's the example of that. Look at the rest of his prayer in Gethsemane in verse 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Not what I will. Not what I will. Not my will. He goes, Daddy, I know you can do all things. Is there another way that we can do this? Please don't make me go through this. But not my will. Not my will. Everybody say, not my will. Not my will will when it comes, but your will when it comes to my finances. Not my will, but your will when it comes to my career path. Not my will, but your will when it comes to how I think about things. Not my will, but your will when it comes to how I raise my kids. Not my will, God, but your will when it comes to everything in my life, how I fill my life and fill my schedule. Not my will, but your will, God. Not my will when it comes to my family and my kids and my marriage and my worries and my job and everything, my decisions, God. Not my will, but your will be done. Should I do it again? (laughs) That's what this is all about, right? That's what this is all about. Listen, beloved, this whole thing. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means. People ask you, what does it mean to be? What does it mean? What does it mean to be a Christ follower, a Christian? It means not my will, but your will be done. That's what it means. It means obedience. Not my will, but your will. What's, what's Christianity about? What's following Jesus about? Well, it's about love, and oh gosh, it feels so great, and Jesus is so, he's in my heart, and it's so wonderful, and it's warm and fuzzy. And No, it's about not my will, but your will be done, and that is Out of control, difficult, isn't it? Not my will, but your will be done. What I want has to be secondary to what God wants. What I'm saying is follow Jesus or follow you. Can't be both. Follow Jesus or follow you. It cannot be both. Jesus is our example of what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 5, what he's telling us to do when he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now look at verse 8 in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The the, the advice we give, the, the wisdom we pass on to the next generation, oftentimes it's based on things that we've gone through, right? Things that we regret, things that we wish we would have found out sooner or done better, things we hope to spare our kids from, Peter's the same. 
I, I can just imagine him writing these last few sentences and tears just beginning to flow from his eyes as he says, wake up. Wake up. Be, 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 be watchful. Don't, don't miss it. Don't fall asleep. Be, be watchful. This isn't just about, this isn't a philosophy. It's not a game. It's not a hobby. This is here. Like the stakes are so high. Be watchful, guys. Be watchful. Wake up. This is war. You're a part of a battle. Your enemy is real, guys. He's like, he's like a lion prowling around just looking to, for anything to eat. Just looking to destroy anything that God has planned for your life. He's, he's a real enemy. Don't mess around with this. Take this seriously. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. He said, get out. Get out of the party mode. You're not in a time of peace. You're in a time of war, Peter's saying. Get out of party mode. Get rid of anything that's going to cloud your judgment as you try to be in a battle for Jesus Christ on this earth. Your present calling. Be, be sober-minded. We're not in a time of peace. We're in a time of war. You have to actively resist, Peter says. Be watchful. I think he's remembering what happened in Mark chapter 14, just before what we read a minute ago, just before Jesus goes to Gethsemane and he prays that prayer. And he, just before that, he has this moment with Peter in Mark 14, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the disciples, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then look at our verse 29. This is our boy Peter. He steps up and he says, Peter said to him, even though... They all fall away. I will not. Now that's some serious arrogance, right? Not only is he disagreeing with the Messiah, the Son of God, who he's already said is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. He's disagreeing with him, but he's also pointing out his friends, right? You ever known somebody like that? They're like, not me. They might, but not me, Jesus. He goes, this beloved disciple, John, he might, but not Peter. He goes, my brother Andrew's pretty jacked up. He'll probably bail, but not me. He goes, Thomas is definitely going to doubt. We already know that, but not me. I'm not going to do it, Jesus. I am not going to fail you. Look at verse 30. And Jesus said to him, Peter calls him out, truly, I tell you, this very night, Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he, Peter, said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. In case you missed it, Peter emphatically says, I will, I'll go to death. I am 100% in. I, this is how in I am. I'll go to execution for you, Jesus. Like, I don't even know. No, I'll go all the way. I am in 100%. And then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to Gethsemane. He tells them to sit and watch. And then he walks a few steps ahead and he collapses on the ground. And he prays that prayer. God, let this, Father, let this cup pass from me. Let this hour pass from me. He says, not what I will, but what you will. And then verse 37, and he, Jesus, came and found them sleeping, Peter, James, and John. And he said to Peter, 
Simon, are you asleep? Could you not just watch one hour? Jesus, or Peter, can't, can't even stay awake for Jesus, right? He said he'd go to death for Jesus. All he can do now is go to sleep for Jesus. He said he'd go all the way, but he can't even stay awake for a few minutes, not even an hour. Jesus goes, could you not watch just, just one hour? Verse 38, watch and pray. Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he, he walks away again. And, and verse 39, it just starts to get crazy. He, and he, and he again, it's, it gets ridiculous. He, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words in verse 40. And, and again, he, Jesus, came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy, and they, they did not know what to answer him. In other words, they were so embarrassed, they didn't know what to say. Verse 41, and he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Peter can't even stay awake for Jesus, much less go all the way to death for him. He doesn't get it. None of them do. They don't get the stakes. They don't get that their enemy is like a lion prowling around, wanting to eat anything, wanting to devour anything that God is pushing them towards. They don't don't get that they're chosen not just for victory in heaven, but for battle right here and right now. They don't get that we don't live in a time of peace. Not yet. And Jesus goes, it's enough. It's fine. It's over. The time's come. My betrayer's at hand. They didn't get it. Do we? I mean, we're on the other side of the resurrection. We have 2,000 years of church history. We have the word of God. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But do we get this? That there's a war? That there's this urgency that we're set apart for battle. I mean, in 1 Peter 5, it seems like Peter's going, I didn't get it. I didn't get that. Don't be like me. Wake up. Don't fall asleep. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Actively resist your enemy, the devil. Don't get comfortable. You see, when you're, when you're in the midst of a battle, you don't want comfort, do you? You don't want comfort. In the battle, comfort will get you killed. That's why we don't take recliners to the battlefield. Right? We don't do that. Why? Because you're going to get killed if you let yourself get comfortable. You want to be alert. You don't, you don't, in a battle, you don't lay down when it's your turn to stand watch. You see, Peter and the disciples that were there with him, they didn't get that. Jesus said, watch And they had a posture of laying down rather than standing watch. You don't want comfort if you're in a battle, but we, if we're honest, we're all about comfort, aren't we? We'll do almost anything to get more comfort, more safety, more security, more stuff, more convenience. My fear is that when it comes to faith, many of us, We don't have the posture of someone standing watch. We have the posture of somebody taking a nap. 
We love company. What I'm saying is be watchful or be comfortable. Can't be both. Be watchful or be comfortable. That cannot be both. Back to 1 Peter 5. Look at verse 10. Peter writes, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Have you ever thought of what it was like for Peter to try to lead the disciples, the apostles, after he had failed so miserably? Have you ever thought about that whole dynamic after that night, after all the big talk, and he falls asleep three times, and then he denies Jesus three times, and he failed miserably, and then he was supposed to lead him. Jesus had said, Peter's going to lead. And, and there's a few days there in the gospel account when, when Jesus has resurrected, but he hasn't yet ascended, and, and Peter's like, he just went back fishing. He's just like, I'm out. He's thinking he's disqualified. He's missed his shot. He's, there's no way after I failed so miserably, I'm going to be counted as one of these. He needed Jesus to restore him, and, and Jesus did in John 21. Three times he restores Peter. So maybe he was thinking about that when he wrote this in, in 1 Peter 5, that God himself will restore you. Have you ever felt like you messed up too bad, like you missed your shot? Like whatever you did, it was just too bad, it was just too... You just cross the line and you're never going to be used again and God's mad at you and you were disqualified. Maybe you need to ask God himself to restore you. And what about after Jesus restored Peter and he, he ascended into heaven? Jesus said Peter was the leader, but the other apostles must have at least been hesitant to follow his leadership, right? Like after what had happened, like surely there was some hesitancy there. How, how could he lead them? And so in the days between Jesus' ascension into heaven and the Holy Spirit coming down at Pentecost in Acts 2, I can imagine Peter's going, okay, God, I need you, Jesus, I need you to confirm this. I need you to confirm this for everybody here. I'm not worthy. I messed up. They know it. I know it. And, And then Pentecost comes in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and they're, they're all holed up in a second room floor before it happens, and, and they had to have been looking around for leadership. Jesus is gone. They had to have been going, is it, are we really supposed to wait? Are we just supposed to wait here? Like, what, are we about to be crucified like Jesus? Like, what's going to happen next? Like, this is weird. What's, what are we waiting for? What's exactly going to happen? Peter had to be thinking, God, I need you to strengthen me. And the Spirit of God descends in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God descends. Let me fix it because I know what it is because we did this last week. Maybe. All right. The Spirit of God descends on the apostles in Acts chapter 2, right? And they're emboldened and empowered in this amazing way. And 
these miracles happen, but one of them, one of the group kind of stands up. Someone stands up and they, they run outside and then they begin to preach a message, a very direct message about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God in Christ. And they're preaching this bold message and there's people from all over the world there, all over the, the ancient world there. And they all hear the message of this guy uh, as he preaches the gospel in their own language. And it's this miracle, miraculous thing. And 3,000 people get give their lives over to Christ and the the church is born in that moment and that someone is our boy Peter. He's the one who steps up and he runs out and he preaches this first message that ends with the church being born. Maybe that's what he was thinking about when he wrote that God himself will confirm you and strengthen you. So what about you? Have you ever been called to lead something, but you felt insecure, or to do something, but you felt like there was no way you were strong enough, no way that everybody would even allow it? Maybe you're looking around and people are doubting you, and and you've got this insecurity. Maybe you need to ask God himself to confirm you and strengthen you. But it's one thing to be restored, confirmed, and strengthened, right? That's kind of the beginning. It's something different to be established. That's long-term. So what would happen after Peter preached that first day? I mean, what happened after Pentecost? Would the apostles accept him as leader? Would God establish him? He had to be wondering. Well, a couple of chapters later in the book of Acts, we find this issue in the early church where this this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they, they, they come to all of the apostles. It says they bring forward some stuff to all the apostles and they basically they just lie I don't have time to teach through it you can check it out in Acts chapter 5 but they lie to all of the apostles and we find in Acts chapter 5 that that all of the apostles are there but it's Peter who steps up and pronounces a judgment who who sees the truth in what they're saying in, in the lie in what they're saying and pronounces a judgment it's Peter who does that and and then a few verses later in Acts chapter 5 Verse 15, it says this. They, they even carried out the sick into the streets and they laid on them, they laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the end of verse 16, and, and they were all healed. God didn't just restore, confirm, and strengthen Peter. He also established him. And maybe that's what Peter was thinking about when he's writing these last nine verses when he writes, God himself will establish you. Have you ever been in a situation where God was faithful to get some things going and some good things happened, but there's been kind of a gap time? And you're going like, was, was I making that up? Did, I, did God really use me in this way? Am I supposed to keep doing this? Or was that just like a fluke? Was that, did, am I supposed to continue or, or not? Thinking maybe it was a fluke. Maybe your time is up. Maybe this thing isn't supposed to last, maybe you need to pray to God and ask God himself to establish you. Ultimately, though, Peter's talking about heaven when he talks through this. He says, you're going to suffer for a little while, and then God himself is going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about future hope. 
He's talking about how you're going to suffer for a little bit here in your present calling, but you're going to have this future hope. Again, this hope, or again, this, this whole thing that, 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 that seems like in our identity in Christ, our identity as people set apart, it seems like they're at odds with each other. This, this future hope and present calling together. Listen, though, Peter is clear. He's been clear. The Bible is clear. Future inheritance comes by way of present suffering. Exaltation follows humiliation. Future glory, eternal glory, comes after earthly difficulty. That's what this whole letter has been about. This divine tension that's held within your identity as a people set apart. Future hope, present calling. Now what I'm saying is that you cannot have future hope without present calling. You cannot have future hope without present calling. And yet I think some of us, maybe a lot of us, if we're honest, we'd have to admit that We've kind of tried to skip over present calling, the battle, the difficulty on earth. We've kind of tried to skip over that and still hold fast to our future hope. But you cannot have future hope without present calling. You see, I think a lot of us, we've said yes to heaven, but we haven't said yes to Jesus. And we've said yes to the church, But we haven't said yes to the battle. Listen, eternal glory, future hope, it always comes by way of straining towards, through difficulty and pain, through the battle, straining towards your present calling as a Christ follower. You're called to be a light in a dark place. You're called to tell everybody around you about the love you found in Jesus. You're called to give everything you have towards the cause and kingdom of Jesus Christ. You're called to help those who are in need. You're called to live the gospel of Jesus out in every arena and every place and every aspect of your life. You're called to resist. You're call to fight for injustice, to fight against injustice and deception in our world. That's what it means to be, that's the battle. You can't have future hope without that battle. You can't have future hope without that present calling. And listen, beloved, if you're a Jesus follower, you have that present calling. I don't know if I was clear about that. If you're following Jesus, that's what it means. You have this present calling right here, right now. I guess what I'm saying is that I think if a person has secured a future hope in Jesus Christ, they will not be able to shirk their present calling in Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. I think that if a person has really and truly secured a future hope in Jesus Christ, that they will not be able to shirk their present calling in Jesus Christ because they go hand in hand. 
That's what it means to be set apart as children of God. It means both. It means both. Look at the last part of the letter with me, verse 12. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who was at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. For these 11 weeks, we've been declaring to you that this is the true grace of God. You who are in Christ, you who have surrendered your life to him, you are set apart, set apart for him in heaven. There's future peace for you and future hope for you someday and set apart for him right now for the battle, for your present calling. This dichotomy, this divine tension, this is what it means to be set apart for God. This is the true grace of God. So stand firm in it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace, your mercy that you show to us every day. As always, God, I pray that whatever was of me today in this last, this message um, would, would be forgotten quickly and whatever was from you would, would be remembered and would haunt us and like a seed would find good soil in the hearts of many and create faith and bear fruit. God, I pray for that person, those people in this room that maybe they've never really said yes to you. They've said yes to heaven because that sounds like a good idea. They've maybe even said yes to the church, but they have not said yes to you. Theirs is a faith absent a present calling. And I don't even know if that exists. So I just pray that you would convict us where we need conviction. Wherever it is that we've said yes to part, but not yes to all. If there's anyone in this room who has not said yes to you, not given their life over to you completely, in the sense that they haven't just said, oh, you saved me, but that they've said, you, Jesus, are the Lord of my life. You make my decisions. You, you lead me. You own my stuff. You own my location. You, you own my kids and my family and my marriage. and You own my money. God, if they haven't said yes to you in that way, I pray, Jesus, that today would be the day that they would cross that line of faith and begin to live out the calling you've placed on their lives here and now as they walk towards, step by step, that future hope. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, if you're in this room and you have yet to say yes to Jesus, to to really surrender your life over to him, like we said, what Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will, God, be done. If you have yet to enter into a relationship with Christ in that way, to let him take over your life and be the Lord of your life, the leader of what you do, then I want to just give you a moment here and Just tell them, say that. If that's you and you want to you say yes to Jesus, just say, God, I want to give you my life. I want you to lead. 
I want to be saved, but I also want to make you Lord of my life. I accept present calling, what you've called me to, the difficulty, the battle, the suffering of this life. And I also gladly accept the price you paid on the cross to give me a future hope in you, both. So if that's you, just in your own words, say that now. Make a decision for Christ. But I think there are also some people in this room who, who are Jesus followers. You would say, no, I've, I've said yes to Jesus. But if you're honest, you said yes to most, of th- most things, but you, you're holding on to one. You're like, Jesus, I, yes, Jesus, I give you my life, but not that thing. I give you my life, but not my money. I give you my life, but don't touch where I live because that's just for me to decide. I give you my life, but don't touch my career because I've already decided that. I give you my life, but don't touch that bitterness, that unforgiveness because I'm going to hold on to that. So maybe you're on a journey of living open-handed to God and, and saying yes to him in every area of your life. If that's you, you're a Jesus follower, but you got to say yes in some areas. Let go of some things. I just want to tell you that the energy you're expending holding tight to these things far, far exceeds the energy you would have to expend to let them go. That once you let those things go, there there are no non-negotiables in faith in Jesus Christ. So once you let those things go, then there's this peace and there's this strength and God confirms you and restores you and establishes you because you lean into Him. And so whatever that thing is, you know what it is because you it popped into your head immediately when I started talking about this. Just in your own words, hold your hands out, maybe palms up, open, and just say, God, in your own words, just say, God, I give that thing to you. I give it to you. Help me. Help me give it to you. I've been holding that back. I've said yes to you, but not yes in this area. Not yes in my calling. Not yes with this bitterness or whatever it is. Hold your hands out and just as a sign to God, say, I'm going to live open-handed to you. I give you that thing. Help me walk it out as I leave this place. God, I pray for those in that situation. I pray that you give us the strength to open our hands, that you give us the strength to say yes to you in every area of our lives, not just yes to heaven, but yes to you. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're running out of time, so I think I'm going to dismiss you here in a moment. But we've got our prayer workers, prayer team at the side. If you want to say yes to Christ, give your life over to him today, please go and pray. If you want to pray with somebody about letting that thing go, whatever it is, go and pray. But if you want to give your life to Jesus, they've got some packets, some I've decided packets that will help lead you through that. They want to hand that to you today. So before you go, do that. Uh, But here's my prayer for us today. May we be a people in all things set apart for King Jesus. May we live out Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And as we do these things, may we lean into God himself to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Make sure you talk this over with your life group this week. If you're not in a life group, That means you haven't yet gotten plugged in at Great Oaks. That's okay. We'll get you plugged in. Just stop at Connection Central on your way out. 
And I said I would dis- dismiss you. I actually won't. You're not dismissed. You're sent. Go be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. Invite somebody to Family Matters series next week. God bless.